This episode is sponsored by Kendo UI. Kendo UI allows you to build better apps faster. They have a comprehensive library ranging from data grids and charts to buttons and sliders. Plus, you can use their components as plain JavaScript as well as in Angular, React, and Vue. They have a large collection of customizable popular themes like Bootstrap and Material. Go check them out at reactroundup.com slash kendoui. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of React Roundup. This week on our panel, we have Tara Manixic. Hi, everybody. Kent C. Dodds. Hey there. Nader Dabit. Hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we have a special guest, and that's Nicholas Burke. Hello from Berlin. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Do you want to give a little bit more of an introduction? Who you are, what you do, what, who you work for? Sure. So my name is Nicholas Burke, and I work as a developer at GraphQL. And we're a small startup. We are based in Berlin, and we are active in the GraphQL space. And our latest product is Prisma, which is a GraphQL database layer that I'm sure we are going to talk about uh, throughout the course of the episode. Awesome. Well, let's go ahead and dive in. Do you want to just give kind of the elevator pitch for GraphQL? Uh, sure. So, um, so we actually have to like distinguish whether we are talking about GraphQL or whether we are talking about Prisma, because Prisma kind of is our newest product. At first, we wanted to release it as GraphQL 1.0, mm-hmm. but then we kind of changed our minds and um, decided to give it a completely new name because it's not really quite what GraphQL was before. So actually, let's start with GraphQL maybe to put Prisma into perspective and into context. So GraphQL, as you might know, is a backend as a service. So it's very much a tool that as a front-end developer or a mobile developer you would use if you don't want to spend any time on the backend side of things and just like you need a backend, you need some database where you store your user data, maybe you need authentication for your users, and GraphQL basically delivers all of that out of the box. And um, it also provides you with a GraphQL API. So um, in contrast to, for example, Firebase, um, which is a similar kind of service, uh, you won't get a like custom API or a REST API. You actually will get a GraphQL API uh, that you can access from the front end and from your mobile clients. And Prisma, which is the news product that we just released two months ago and which we first wanted to release as GraphQL 1.0, um, is actually the core technology that is powering the GraphQL framework. The core technology the query engine behind GraphQL. So basically our reasoning was that we had a lot of customers when we were running GraphQL who had a lot of um, custom use cases and a lot of um, really specific use cases that they were um, approaching us with and that they wanted us to implement. And if you take this seriously and you tell them, well, okay, we have to go and now we have to implement this use case and this use case, and you get a long bucket list of things that you need to implement that you can actually never really work through and make everybody happy. So then our reasoning was to kind of take the core of GraphQL, make it available to the general public, and then make it easy for people to build their own GraphQL servers by using all the power of the the underlying technology of GraphQL. And we provide a couple of additional open source tooling around Prisma so that it's going to be really easy for um, new developers especially um, to get started with uh, GraphQL, build their own GraphQL servers where the core core of their GraphQL servers is going to be Prisma as the connection to their database basically. And the short um, or like the the shortest um, description that we have for Prisma is basically that Prisma turns your database into a GraphQL API. So you just provide us with your database, and we're taking that database and we're generating a GraphQL API on top of it so that you can now speak to your database using GraphQL instead of SQL or some other NoSQL API. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so my first question is, I, I assume that it's a little bit more, there, there's a little bit more from a configuration standpoint. I, I should actually take a step back and just first say, like, this is one area of um, software development that I know very little about. So if my questions are dumb, then or, or like obvious, then um, <laughs> that's, that's fine. 
Yeah. So I, I'm guessing it's more than just giving you a connection URL to my database. I probably have to um, describe my data in some way. Like, like I am thinking of, you know, back in school days when I did database stuff with SQL databases, all the data was normalized and relationships were not encoded in the database. So how do I communicate those relationships to, um, what, what was it called? Prisma? Prisma, exactly. Yeah, so, so, so that is actually a really good question. So um, the fact that we're uh, using GraphQL as the interface to the database applies on two levels. And the first level is, as I just described, rather than having to retrieve the data or change the data in the database with SQL, you can now, um, you can now use GraphQL, which in itself um, is already a win because GraphQL is a lot simpler and um, we're kind of abstracting away all the technicalities that you would otherwise have to deal with when you're using SQL. But it also applies on a second level. And that second level is that rather than defining your database schema um, in the way that you would usually do it um, to define your SQL tables and everything, you can also use the much, much simpler GraphQL schema definition language. So GraphQL, as a couple of you might know, has a type system. And this type system is expressed via the uh, schema definition language. And this schema definition language you can now use to define your data model with Prisma. And Prisma is just going to take that data model and basically generate this GraphQL CRUD API for you based on this data model. So say you just define like a user type that has a name and um, an ID and maybe, um, maybe an email address. Um, Prisma would go ahead and generate these CRUD operations that allow you to store user objects, update them, delete them, and read them from the database. So is this attempting to replace a backend or an API server or either one or both, depending on what you want? I mean, what, what is your aim here? Yep, that's also a very fair question. So the, the, the biggest confusion that we had with Prisma so far, and that's super understandable, and which is actually also the reason why we decided to give it a new name and not call it GraphQL 1.0, is the fact that Prisma is not a backend as a service anymore. So you cannot use or you shouldn't use Prisma just as your entire backend. That, that is potentially possible, but then you really only get the functionality that you um, have when talking to a database. So you can really only read and update data when you're connecting directly to Prisma from the front end. But you usually also want to have additional business logic. You would want to have authentication flows for the user. You want to integrate with third-party systems. So all that kind of functionality you cannot, um, you cannot get when you're just using Prisma as your entire backend. And also, you usually don't want to expose your entire database to your client applications. So um, with GraphQL, it's actually possible, thanks to introspection, that once you have the endpoint of a GraphQL API, you can read the entire schema of the entire backend. So you can see what operations are, are possible um, in that GraphQL API um, and how it's structured, what its data model looks like. You get all these insights just from having uh, the, the GraphQL API endpoint. And you usually don't want to expose all that information to the public. So um, really think of Prisma as your database layer. It's the database layer inside your backend stack. And what you have to put on top of it is an actual GraphQL server. And that GraphQL server, for example, could be GraphQL Yoga, which is an open source tool that we built that is based on Apollo server and um, GraphQL tools and a couple of other libraries. And that makes it really simple to set up your own, Graph, uh, your own GraphQL server, basically in just a few lines, and connect that to Prisma, and you get the same functionality that you previously had with GraphQL, but with a lot more flexibility and with a lot more control. I just wanted I to clarify say, a point uh, here real quick. Yeah, so yeah, essentially, essentially what you're saying is, is that this is something you, you stick on top of your database and it's completely open. So, you know, yes. it, it's, gra it's GraphQL, but it's completely open to the, you know, whatever can connect to it. So you put something in front of it in order to make it mm -hmm. secure? Is that what you're saying? Uh, well, uh, so Prisma itself is also already secure. So it requires authentication. And you have to send a token, an authentication token, when you want to interact with the database okay. behind Prisma. But 
that Prisma API, that Prisma CRUD API is not exposed to client applications or to anyone. Really, it, it should only be used by your GraphQL server. So really think about it as two components in your backend. Think about the application, the application layer, and the database layer. The application server is your GraphQL server. That's GraphQL Yoga. That is where you implement business logic. That is where you implement authentication for your users. That is where you implement uh, integrations with third-party APIs. And then you have the database layer. And the database layer is um, effectively powered by Prisma. And um, with the tooling that we provide, it's very, very easy to connect this application and this database layer and put them together with just a few lines of code. So okay. we just want to make it very straightforward for you to build GraphQL servers um, and not having to take care of all that um, complicated um, uh, of all that complicated database access. We we free you from basically writing SQL queries, and you can now spend your time with the with the actual business logic of your application. Right. So I don't so have to write resolvers. I, a- I hate doing that. <laughs> Go ahead, Tara. I have a question to hope, hopefully kind of clear this a bit. So I just, uh, so I've, I've made GraphQL, um, I've used GraphQL to basically, you know, connect my database to uh, GraphQL and then use Apollo on the front end to connect it. So like the, I did a whole, the whole full stack and like made my server and uh, with Express and GraphQL. And mm-hmm. it was pretty complicated. There wasn't much documentation. And what were you using as a database? Uh, I was using Mongo because that's what I was used to. And I saw that with Prisma, you support like practically every (laughs) database out there. Uh, Pretty cool. Um, So, and I actually messed around with GraphQL a bit to set up and like run around in the playground and mess with that. So my question then is, uh, well, first of all, I had a hard time hosting the server, uh, the GraphQL server. Because there were just uh, not that much documentation out there, not that many people kind of supporting. I ended up playing with Zite. Um, mm-hmm. But if so, if you could say just like in a very high level quick overview of like, say, I have a database, you know, Mongoose or, or uh, not Mongoose, but... Um, mm-hmm. Postgres or Mongo or something like that. What are the steps you would take from database to messing with GraphQL and uh, Prisma? Fair question. And I actually have to correct you there because you said that we basically support all the databases. (laughs) And that is not the case yet. So because Prisma kind of grew out of GraphQL and GraphQL was entirely built on AWS Aurora, which is kind of similar to MySQL. Um, these are the only two databases that we support at the moment. But we want to, or we are currently already working on the connectors for Postgres and for Mongo. So these two are going to come next. Oh, I, oh, I so, see connectors. I see like this huge list on your yes. supported database. <laughs> okay, connectors. Exactly. So we have a long list of feature requests there. And the priorities are that we're going to start with Postgres and with Mongo in the very uh, in, in the very near future, so you can expect them within the next two to three months. Cool. Um, we'll be uh, completely ready, and then we also distinguish between active and passive connectors. Where the passive connector would be the use case, basically that you just provide us already with an existing database, and we just based on the data that is already there and the schema that is already inside that database, we're going to generate the GraphQL API, but in that setup, if you're only using the passive connector, you won't be able to do what I explained to Ken in the beginning, that you use, uh, to, to Kent in the beginning, um, that you use the schema definition language to also change the schema. So with a passive connector, you only get a GraphQL API for an existing database, but you cannot change the schema through the GraphQL schema language. With the active connectors, you can do that. When you have an active connector, you can change the data model in the SEL, and the database schema will be updated accordingly. So one-way versus two-way. Yes. Got it. Okay. So I know if you're if you're writing like raw GraphQL, if you want to create like a full-stack application, what I've done in the past is we have, uh, and, and Chuck mentioned this for a second earlier, you're creating a resolver that kind of acts as the glue between your GraphQL request and your database um, functionality. And then that exactly. you have a request and then a response and, and you can work with the, the resolver there. Like where does, does this kind of replace a resolver 
by kind of making that functionality just a lot easier to write? You're hitting the nail on the head. So um, when you build a GraphQL API, um, the process is usually also referred to as schema-driven or schema-first development, which means you first come up with um, like the, the proper way of expressing a new feature uh, in the form of a GraphQL operation. So that could, for example, be a feed query when you want to have like a feed in your application of um, like the latest posts of your users or something like this. Um, then you have to add that query uh, or that um, operation to your GraphQL schema. And once you added it to the schema, what you have to do is you have to write a resolver function for that particular operation that is going to be invoked when a client requests that operation. So that is the process of writing a resolver. And um, writing the resolvers, so mapping your GraphQL schema to the database, this is actually the difficult part in writing GraphQL servers because GraphQL queries can be deeply nested. And um, you can run into a lot of um, really difficult performance problems that are really difficult to solve uh, when you just like um, go into that naively and you start building your uh, GraphQL server and you implement all these resolvers yourself. Um, there are a lot of pitfalls that you are not going to be aware of when you're just starting out. So what we're doing with Prisma is exactly what you said better, is that we're simplifying the process of implementing resolver functions. So basically, if you only need the CRUD functionality, if, so if you want to have the same um, functionality that you got with GraphQL previously, basically all you need to do is pipe through all the resolvers um, you define the schema for your application layer, and then you, you just pipe through all the resolvers, and the heavy lifting of resolving the queries is then going to be done by Prisma. And you can do like you can you can somewhat consider the the, the GraphQL schema that you build for your GraphQL server as a mask of the underlying Prisma schema. So, so I um, really want to make this clear: is that when you're developing a GraphQL server with Prisma you're dealing with two GraphQL APIs. The first GraphQL API is the one on the bottom. That's the CRUD API that's provided by Prisma that gives you direct, ac direct access to your database. And the second GraphQL API is the one that is the one um, that defines your application layer and that is going to be exposed to your client applications. So your clients are going to talk to the application layer, but the application layer is not going to do the heavy lifting of resolving queries because it delegates the queries or the resolution of the queries down to Prisma, and there the heavy lifting is performed. That's awesome because, yes, writing resolvers is the worst part, especially when you have to worry about writing to different databases and kind of how you're basically having to learn not only how GraphQL works in the resolvers, but then you're also, like you said, you're writing queries or um, you're even writing MySQL uh, queries in in that area, and, and and you're worrying about the the depth of your your GraphQL query, like you said, you have nested, and it does become super hard, and that's that's awesome. Um, and something else that I've used so far that has been really nice is the Prisma CLR. I would love to hear more about what's going on there because if if you haven't tried it yet, you should check it out. The Prisma CLR lets you spin up one of these applications in just a couple of seconds, and the user experience is spot on. I'm kind of curious though, like what is going on behind the scenes there? And um, like, is there a real database that you're getting like temporarily or is that all in memory? Uh, so, um, so I guess you're referring to deploying a Prisma service to a development cluster. Um, so let's talk about the different ways how you can host a Prisma service. Um, the Prisma services are hosted on what's called clusters. And there are essentially three types of clusters. The first type of cluster would be um, the one that you just described, that's a public development cluster. Public doesn't mean that all the data that's on there is exposed publicly. It just means that you don't have to sign up for an account. Um, you can just like deploy to that, and we just provide that cluster for everybody who wants to tinker with GraphQL and just play around with it. So that's a development cluster. But Prisma is entirely open source. So if you want to use Prisma in production, uh, you can actually go ahead and run it yourself using Docker. So you can also deploy it either locally or to some cloud provider like DigitalOcean or, uh, or Google Cloud, something like this, and just deploy your Docker container that is running Prisma uh, to these clusters. 
And then the third option is uh, to use Prisma Cloud, which is kind of our commercial offering um, that is um, used for Prisma. When you want to run Prisma in production and you want to um, have like all the benefits of having a nice data browser, you want to have a dashboard uh, with like performance metrics and insights into what's going on your, in, inside your database and everything, then you would actually go ahead and um, deploy to a private cluster on Prisma Cloud. So we have these three kinds of clusters, but for people to get started really quickly, um, we think it's really important that we provide this um, public development cluster um, as a first touch point with Prisma so that people don't have to go through some complicated sign-up process or have to uh, fiddle, out, uh, fiddle around with Docker. They can just get started. I think that uh, it's probably good to point out, because um, I, I did the Prisma init through uh, mm -hmm. the CLI, and just like how many different boilerplate projects you have available is pretty awesome. I mean, you go all the way from a very minimal node one to like a viewer React full stack uh, application with database and GraphQL server. And that's amazing. <laughs> that's really awesome. Right. So these uh, GraphQL boilerplate projects that you're touching on there, um, that's actually a um, very community-driven project. And I want to give a huge shout out uh, to, to all the contributors so far. Um, really, really awesome work. Um, and so we currently have like four different uh, technologies that uh, we have these boilerplate projects for. So you can um, have uh, boilerplate projects, which are effectively like starter kits um, for your next GraphQL project. Um, and we have, um, we have them for Node, for TypeScript, and then full stack ones for React and for Vue at the moment, but we are um, constantly adding more. And um, they basically come in three different sizes. So the smallest size is just called minimal. And the minimal will just really show you the minimal setup for a GraphQL server. And for the full stack ones, also what it takes on the front end to connect to this GraphQL server. Um, and then the basic and advanced boilerplate projects are probably the ones which you want to use when you're uh, um, uh, starting out with your own projects. Uh, because they already come with um, some additional functionality. So, for example, they come with an integrated uh, persistence layer with Prisma. Um, and then the advanced uh, boilerplate project, it also comes with um, user authentication um, and also real-time functionality based on GraphQL subscriptions out of the box. And the easiest way actually to get started with these, uh, kind of, uh, with, with these kinds of boilerplates is by e uh, using the Prisma, uh, uh, Prisma init command, as you mentioned. But you can also use the official GraphQL CLI um, and the GraphQL create command. And actually, Prisma, the Prisma CLI is using the GraphQL create command under the hood. So if you don't want to use Prisma for that, you can just install the GraphQL CLI and then use GraphQL create, specify the boilerplate project that you want, or just choose it in the terminal in the prompt and uh, get started with GraphQL. So I just had a, a question in, that's like going to change the subject a little bit. So Prisma, it sounds like, is the like the core competency of GraphQL. It's like the you know the underworkings, the secret sauce. Um, so could you talk a little bit about the um, the motivations to uh, open source that and make it publicly available? Well. Um it was already available, or like uh, GraphQL is open source as well. So um, we we didn't really go and and open source um, just Prisma, but um, uh, GraphQL was already open source, and we kind of ripped out this um, part, this query engine from GraphQL, and just made it a new product, basically. Um, and why we wanted to make it open source or why we initially made GraphQL open source was actually that with um, the experience that we had from basically running the GraphQL backend as a service and production for one and a half years was that we had a lot of customers who really, really liked the product, um, but who approached us and told us, hey, uh, we cannot use your product because we have special requirements. We cannot give uh, uh, we cannot give our data and our entire backend into the hands of a small startup. We need to host this ourselves. So we had so many people asking that over and over and over and over. So that at one point we decided, okay, the best way to deal with that is to open source it 
and um, to let everybody host it themselves. So uh, that's actually what we did last October when we open sourced the GraphQL backend as a service and rebranded it a little bit to the GraphQL framework. So we came to from the GraphQL backend as a service, then it became the GraphQL framework, which was the self-hosted version of the GraphQL backend as a service. And now the third iteration of that, um, and a little bit of a pivot, uh, and a little bit of a pivot for us as a company is Prisma. And um, yeah, so here we come back to the reason why we changed the name, really because we had these three iterations. And um, when we were planning on releasing it as GraphQL 1.0, and we had like the first preview blog post out um, announcing it as GraphQL 1.0, people got terribly confused because we basically had three versions that were all called GraphQL, the GraphQL backend as a service, which was already very, very different from the GraphQL framework. And then we had GraphQL 1.0 and people had no idea what it was. And so I personally apologize to all the people who went through that frustration trying to understand what was going on. And I think, um, giving it a new name because it also is a very different product. It's not this backend as a service anymore that gives you everything, but it's this database layer where you now have to put the GraphQL server on top yourself, which when you're using our tooling is a very similar and very friendly developer experience that is very like uh, convenient and comes really close to the experience that you used to have with GraphQL before. It's very interesting to hear, kind of like you know how how you guys are running the company because GraphQL is such like a, a a fairly new technology and building a startup around it, things are evolving so quickly and yeah. you know it's it's interesting to hear that you're all you all are kind of pivoting and, and, and moving along and trying to kind of get your company you know aligned with with the needs of the community and it's it's just interesting to hear kind of how you've all handled handled everything. And it seems yeah. like you've done a really good job. I know that a lot of people like really, you know, like the service. And I hear a lot of buzz around Prisma and I have, I've heard nothing but good things about it so far. So we, we kind of see it as our mission to make it as easy as possible for people to use GraphQL because we're really convinced that GraphQL is going to be the future of API communication. And uh, so we see it as our mission to make it as easy as possible for people to use it and build their backends with it. And two, two and a half years ago, when we started out with GraphQL, um, there wasn't a lot of tooling or a lot of information around GraphQL. So the easiest way for us to enable de developers to use it was to build this backend as a service. But as the GraphQL ecosystem matures, um, we are also constantly listening to what developers actually want, how they want to build their backends, and how they want to use GraphQL. And that's how we came out at Prisma. So coming from a startup point of view or a standpoint of a financial like you know point of view, it seems like monetizing a backend as a service would be much easier than kind of the pivot that you all have taken out. I'm kind of curious what like the strategy is there. Like is there gonna be some form of service that you offer that is similar to what GraphQL was um, with this new service or how do, how does that gonna work? Right. So I quickly mentioned that that we um, have Prisma Cloud as our commercial offering. So you can entirely use Prisma without paying as a dime if you just want to deploy it to DigitalOcean or anything like that. But um, if you want to have like a really easy experience deploying it and using it in production and don't want to deal with all that infrastructure management that usually comes along when you're hosting your own backend, then you can use Prisma Cloud. And uh, like Prisma Cloud has like a lot of benefits um, you can work with your entire team on the same Prisma service. The entire team can get access to the data, but you can, of course, like um, provide um, fine-grained access mechanisms uh, or like access um, uh, for for your uh, uh, teammates and their according roles. And um, like a couple of things that we have in the Prisma Cloud console when you're using that is that you can basically configure your clusters. So these runtime environments for your Prisma services directly in the console. Um, you get the data browser where you have basically a nice table-like view um, that is going to replace tools like PHP MyAdmin or something like this, which a lot of developers are still dealing with but which just have a horrific uh, developer experience. Um, and we're just trying to, to make all these workflows around your data. So setting up a database, connecting a database to your server, uh, viewing the data in the database, uh, changing it, um, all these workflows 
um, are basically um, why you would want to use Prisma Cloud because we are making that very, very easy. And you can even give the Prisma console to a non-technical audience. So with the usual um, uh, like tools that you have for databases, um, you usually cannot give them to your marketing department, for example, to, to, to work with the data that's in there to generate reports. And with Prisma Cloud, that's going to become possible because we're going to provide a really simple and intuitive interface to your data. Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. I have to say that just for kicks, while we were talking, I went ahead and spun up a React, uh, full React app. Right. And I already have like a running GraphQL and React uh, application running. Like it was so easy. And All I have to right. tell you, doing it the first, like doing it with my own, just trying to figure out how to do it with Express and run through GraphQL and setting everything up myself was such a headache and a half. And the documentation honestly still doesn't feel like it's there. So that doing that with Prisma was awesome. <laughs> was all right. That's crap. We're all out of jobs. Everybody delete this episode. <laughs> <laughs> no, we just can make even cooler things faster. That's all. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so um, I remember listening to a thing about GraphQL um, almost a year ago. And they're saying that uh, it was built completely on open source um, libraries and and projects is it is that still the case actually like prisma is in, uh, so it's implemented in scala and um it's built on top of the scala graphql reference implementation which is called sangria um and um so i'm not too familiar what, what other tooling they use on the back end but because prisma itself is open source i guess that most of the components or like all of the components that they're using there um is, is also going to be open source um, what's not open source is the Prisma console. So like the, the, the front end for Prisma Cloud, the Prisma Cloud console, um, that is not open source uh, because that's part of our commercial offering. Um, and like in addition to that, it's just really the UI. So um, there is not much magic to it. It's just like our front end um, that where, where I don't think like a lot of people would benefit from if, if that was open source. One thing I'm curious about with the technical capabilities, and you mentioned at the, you have the Prisma level or the database level sort of, and then you have the application level. Um, a lot of GraphQL servers will allow you to query the schema. So since you're, you're kind of defining how it gets passed through from the application layer to Prisma and back, how does that query get fulfilled when people want to know what the schema is for your entire GraphQL at the application level? Can you delegate that to Prisma, or is there something else going on there? Who wants to know what which schema is? So we have two GraphQL schemas. We have the Prisma schema, and we have the schema for the application layer. Right. And who wants to know? So if what, somebody wants schema? to know, yeah. So if somebody wants to know what the application schema is, do I have to define that on my? GraphQL server that I'm providing to them or is that something else yes. that I can delegate to them or to Prisma? Uh, no, so you as the backend developer, you okay. as the, the provider for the backend, you're entirely in charge of what your application layer is going to look like and you're also entirely in charge of implementing it. Okay. But the implementation, thanks to Prisma, is straightforward. Um, but uh, yeah, so... Um, okay. it, yeah, that's basically that, that you're responsible for the application layer. You define the schema um, that you cannot delegate to anybody else because that's really like the meat for your API, right? You, mm -hmm. you want to decide 
um, what operations should be visible to your clients. You want to tailor the operations according to your clients' needs. So that's why um, you're entirely responsible. We don't want to, like, like another point um, that, that we, with, um, with GraphCool, um, you didn't need any backend developers anymore. Um, we're not trying to replace backend developers. We're just trying to make their lives very, very easy. Yeah, I mean, you know, just from where I come from, I, I do Ruby on Rails development. I'm building a Rails app, and I was thinking, okay. oh, you know, I really want to put a GraphQL API on this application that I'm working on that manages all the podcasts. But writing the resolvers was really painful with the Ruby GraphQL yeah. library. And so I'm yeah. sitting here thinking, okay, how much of this can I delegate to Prisma? And yeah, I really love the idea of having it handle all that stuff and then basically saying, okay, well, you're going to go ask Prisma and you're going to ask Prisma not to send back like the password hashes and stuff like that, that I don't really need anybody else to know. And so, yeah, it, it sounds a whole lot nicer than the way that I've been looking at doing it. So, Yeah, I mean, you have kind of a different use case when you already have an existing API and you essentially want to put a GraphQL wrapper on top of it. So that's a different use case than the one that we're catering to with Prisma at the moment, where you basically start from scratch with a fresh database, mm -hmm. and um, then we're generating this GraphQL API. So if you have an existing API, um, at the moment you cannot use Prisma. In the future, with passive connectors, that's going to be somewhat possible as well. You can just remove, uh, uh, remove your API layer and put uh, the, the passive connector mm. on top of your database, and you still get access to the data. And I would say that we're not really getting rid of the job for the back-end developer, but giving them more time to focus on documentation so we know how to use the APIs. Though, <laughs> no, no, even that is not really required with GraphQL anymore because you get the auto-generated uh, documentation out of the box for all your operations. But indeed, they get a lot more time to just spend outside or with their families. <laughs> well, honestly, from a business standpoint... Uh, you know, it makes a ton of sense to be able, you know, because if this cuts the time it takes to implement a GraphQL database in half or better, and it makes it less prone to errors because it's just using a database system that a lot of other people are using that, that makes this a whole lot simpler to follow. I mean, we're getting paid to solve problems. And so if I can solve, you know, three, four, five other problems in the time it would take me yeah. to write all those resolvers, I mean, this is a huge win for these companies. Exactly, exactly. You can really now focus on like the application logic. You can mm -hmm. you, you don't have to deal with like this this complicated part of how do I access the how do I access the database? How how can I make that perform and, and everything? You really can focus on the application layer and on developing features. Yeah, so I I think that uh, this this conversation is one that we've had all like throughout a history of time. It's like, oh, it's so much easier to do this now. We're going to have so much more time to like, just you know, frolic through the flowers. But uh, ultimately, um, we, we are able to, to find new things to do with that time that we freed up. And what's cool about this is like, now that we have uh, React, we can build these amazing, awesome applications in the front end that you couldn't even have dreamed of before. Um, and so I, I am excited by these new technologies, not because it will save me so much time that I can spend doing other things necessarily. Well, like often um, it can, it, it enables me to focus on the harder problems. Yes. Uh, I can spend time solving harder problems, making my applications cooler in, in any way. And using something that's coming from GraphCool, um, clearly my applications will be cooler. So <laughs> 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 Yeah, so um, that was actually a really good point about um, the fact that we are today using React. And React just enables us to be faster, but we still have a lot of other problems to solve. And I kind of see um, GraphQL and Prisma in the same category. Like, um, basically, um, today we're not writing jQuery anymore because that's very, very tedious. We could achieve exactly the same that we are doing with React applications, but we would um, just use a lot more time for that. And we're using React as a nice abstraction, as a convenient abstraction, to be a lot faster with the things that we want to do. And in the same way, GraphQL enables or is a, a great abstraction for working with data that is just going to make everything around your data workflows a lot easier. And one topic that we haven't really touched on in that regard is um, the, the, the topic of GraphQL, uh, 
as schema stitching. So if we wonder what um, backend developers are now going to do um, when they have more time, well, with GraphQL, it's actually um, possible and, and really, really easy to compose a GraphQL API out of other GraphQL APIs. And that's basically already, um, so that's basically already what happens when you're using um, Prisma with GraphQL Yoga on top. So there you're basically composing your application layer GraphQL API um, from the Prisma API, but you could just, um, you could just as well um, incorporate more GraphQL APIs into that and stitch them all together into your GraphQL server. So once all these third-party services like Stripe or maybe Google Maps, I don't know what kind of third-party service you're using in your application, once all of them have GraphQL APIs, it's going to be so easy to build your GraphQL server that leverages all these third-party uh, services because you just can compose them together really, really easily and you have one coherent API that your clients are going to work with and behind the scenes, the GraphQL server is going to orchestrate all these different services that are coming together in that one API. You sound like that sounded like I just listened to something that Elon Musk was talking about, about the future. <laughs> oh, goodness, the future of backend development. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that sounds amazing. Like hook in. Uh, well, there's already the Facebook GraphQL API. There's the GitHub GraphQL API. Right. Being able to, to hook all those things together. Oh, that sounds awesome. That, that's, that's not something I would personally do. Uh, I spend more time on the front end, but I would love to consume an API like that. That'd be yep. awesome. APIs are the future, the current future. <laughs> <laughs> it's GraphQLs all the way down. Yep. So what does testing look like with Prisma? Uh, really good question. But in fact, because you're um, building or you're just building a GraphQL server, uh, you'll end up testing your GraphQL server um, as you would any other GraphQL server, basically. So um, you can write like unit tests for your resolver functions. Um, I don't think that there is like a lot of tooling around that at the moment, but I'm sure that there is going to be more like really GraphQL specific tooling that is going to uh, evolve in the testing space. Um, but I'm not aware of any like uh, specifics or like anything that you have to be uh, terribly aware of when you're testing GraphQL server. Oh, so that's what the back-end developer will finally be doing is testing. <laughs> take Boom, take that note, people. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have one more question, and I hate to take us out of this discussion back into the previous discussion, but there's one question I'm, that I've been thinking about, and it has to do with the way that these resolvers work and the way that you're hooking up all these new databases, is there going to be a single like language or a single way that you can interact with all these different databases? Like, is the database layer going to be able to handle any database with the same query, or do you actually have to learn how the database works? So, for example, if you're writing to Postgres, or if you're writing to Mongo, or whatever, are those all going to look the same, and that's going to be handled by, by Prisma? Or is that something that you have to worry about you have to worry about which database you're working with, or is it just going to work? That's a really good question again. So um, basically, as different databases have different strengths and also different APIs, um, we're not going to like take the same CRUD API that we currently have for MySQL and just put it on every other database, especially because we also want to use GraphQL for other kinds of databases that are really, really special kinds of databases, like time series databases or like geo databases um, and graph databases, so really specific kinds of databases that have their own specific use cases. Um, and for each of these kinds of databases, we are going to develop individual APIs. So uh, we are not going to generate the same GraphQL CRUD API for each different database, but we really want to make sure that each database has a GraphQL API that still leverages the specifics and the individual strength of each database. And the core idea of that is to make GraphQL a universal query language. And we actually want to uh, like write the specifications for these different databases also in the open. So we're starting a project on that. 
I can't talk too much about it yet because it's not public. But basically, we're going to um, cooperate with um, the community and with database vendors to think about what are the best GraphQL APIs for each different database. Very cool. That's awesome to hear. <laughs> so if people want to get started with Prisma or they want to set this up and kind of play with a GraphQL API, uh, where do they go to get started? It sounds like Tara found it already, but uh, maybe you can just spell that out specifically. Right. So um, one really good place to get started is uh, basically the quick start in our documentation. So prismagraphql.com slash docs. There you'll find the, the quick start, a couple of tutorials, the reference documentation, and a few example projects. Um, the quick start tutorials are all based on the GraphQL boilerplates that were previously mentioned already. Um, and you can also go to the GraphQL boilerplates directly. So that is uh, its own GitHub organization. That's github.com slash GraphQL minus boilerplates. And then you can choose the stack that you want. So for example, Node, TypeScript, React, um, all these different technologies. Um, and then another really good place to start is howtographql.com. So um, that's a website that we built with the community last summer that is uh, basically a holistic introduction to GraphQL, starts with a little bit of theory and then goes into practical tutorials also with various technologies uh, for the front end and for the back end. I have a bit of an unrelated question, uh, kind sure. of. I'm just curious um, because I know a lot of times when you see these um, things that build up skeleton applications and ways for you to jump in. Sometimes you want to know what's going on behind the scene. Do you have any resources that you recommend for people who want to know a little bit more about what's happening with the GraphQL, like mutations and queries and what's happening? So for the really hardcore people, you can always go to um, our GitHub repository, uh, Prisma, and check out the source code. Um, nice. But otherwise, um, I would just recommend you to keep an eye on our blog, where we um, regularly release um, really technical content around GraphQL. So, so it's really not uh, cheap content marketing what's happening there, but really technical deep dives and really good tutorials, um, which are um, which are going to help you get started and really understand what's going on under the covers. So if you're interested in that, then I would just recommend you keep an eye on our blog and you'll find like all the relevant information that you need there. That's awesome. All right. Anything else, folks, before we go to picks? All right, Nicholas, uh, one more question for you then, and that is, um, do you have a blog, Twitter, uh, GitHub, places where you tend to uh, put out new stuff or interesting stuff where people can follow you and see what you're doing? Right, so I'm pretty active on Twitter. You can just follow me there at Nicholas Burke, Nicholas with a K, and Burke also with a K, B-U-R-K. And um, that's where I'm just going to tweet about all the interesting stuff that I find or do. Um, I also have a website, but I think that's like very, very old and hasn't been updated in a long time. So I should probably not, not even mention that. I think it's on my Twitter profile. I'm not going to say it here, but I'm going to either remove it from my Twitter profile or update it soon. Awesome. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Kent, do you want to start us off with picks? For you, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at LootCrate.com. Just enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Loot Crate is one of my favorite things. Every month I get a box in the mail, costs less than $20, and it comes with all kinds of goodies. I have stuff from just looking at my shelf, Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and much, much more. So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that, and you want cool stuff to put around your office, uh, cool t-shirts, comic books, etc., then definitely check out Loot Crate. To save 10% on your new subscription, go to lootcrate.com slash ruby. Again, that's lootcrate.com slash ruby to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Sure, I can start us off. Um, so today, um, I was dealing, I, I'm making, uh, rewriting an app for PayPal and um, trying to make a decision on <clears throat> how we wanted to do polyfilling because uh, we support IE10. And um, I, I really didn't want to have to like pick and choose which polyfills I need. It's like, that'd be such a pain and, and 
you'll wind up over polyfilling for browsers that are like current. Um, and so there's this service um, that I, I've known about for a long time. It's been around for a long time um, called polyfill.io. And it's awesome. Um, it, it allows like it will uh, you, you just hit this service um, and it will send you back all the polyfills that are relevant for your browser, um, which is like just a brilliant idea in general. Um, but the problem is that it, it's um, as far as I know, there's no like terms of service or like SLA agreement of any kind uh, when you use the service. So um, one nice thing though is that it's totally open source, and not only that, it has a, a node package, so you don't even have to um, stand up like an entirely different service. And so I, I just like in just one hour was able to um, like import this uh, node package and and say, hey, when user hits this endpoint, they're going to get back the script uh, that has all the polyfills that they need. It, it was just an amazing experience and it's awesome. I hit it with my browser and it comes back with nothing. I have all, like I'm on the latest Chrome, but then if I hit it with um, a different user agent for like IE10, it's this giant polyfill thing. Um, so yeah, it's awesome. I totally recommend giving it a look because um, um, yeah, why, why make people who are using the modern browser pay for the people who are not using the modern browser. Um, so give polyfill.io a look. It's great. And one other um, quick pick is uh, I am uh, doing workshops this year for a couple other or a couple places. So check out workshop.me um, for some of the workshops that I'm doing this year. And it's going to be a lot of fun going to Trulia in two weeks. So it'll probably be too late for anybody listening to this, um, but I am, <laughs> Uh, I am going uh, doing something in Portland and some stuff in Salt Lake. So give that a look. And there's actually a whole bunch of other really awesome workshops all over. Um, so check out workshop.me. You have the domain workshop.me? Oh, it's not mine. No, this is... Oh, okay. uh, yeah, this is Ryan Florence actually um, created workshop.me, a company he split off from uh, uh, from React, React Training. And now he's doing he's basically doing the Egghead IO uh, for workshops. So he doesn't, well, he's doing some of the workshops, but mostly he's managing the logistics around um, setting up the workshop and then just instructors come in, give the workshop and it's great. It's enabling for me because I, I don't care about the business side of things. I just want to give the workshop. And so workshop.me is pretty great for that. Yeah, it's kind of like a live version of front end masters all over wherever Ryan is booking them in. Yeah. All right, Tara, what are your picks? So I have one technical and one non-technical. Um, the technical one is actually um, a shout out to a talk that I just watched from Suze Hinton from Deconstruct uh, in 2017 called The Eccentricities of Hammer and Nail. And I don't know if you're aware of Suze Hinton or she's a no-op cat uh, with a K on Twitter. And just following her progression through learning so many different coding languages was extremely uh, entertaining and very insightful. So I recommend that. And then the non-technical rec that, or pick that I have is this stuff called Mad Matter. And I think it's M-A-D-M-A-T-T-R. And it's sold at like uh, scientific kids shops. It's supposed to be a kid's toy, but it's this uh, kind of like smartest dough to ever flow, they call it. And if anybody has a hard time... Uh, concentrating on just listening or watching something. It's a kind of Play-Doh that is extremely uh, malleable and never dries out. I actually have been playing with it this whole time. <laughs> nice. But uh, it's one of the coolest feeling things I have ever come across. And uh, I, it will be coming to every conference with me. And it's gluten-free for anyone that needs that. <laughs> that's it for me. Awesome. Gluten-free, but don't eat it. Natter, what are your picks? Um, yeah, so plus one for workshop.me. I'll be in San Francisco in May, the end of May, giving a, a React Native workshop, the same workshop that I've given to companies like Microsoft, Amazon, Visa, American Express, two-day workshop. And um, we're really looking forward to that. So go to workshop.me if you want to find out more about that. Um, my other two picks are uh, React Native Training, my blog. We're actually taking guest posters. We, we always have been, but now we're actually paying them through Open Collective. So we have an open collective and we take the money and we give it to any contributors to our open source projects. And now we're taking some of that money and giving them, giving that to guest posters. So if you want to get in front of like 10,000 people or more, 
Um, it's a good way to kind of get your name out there on Medium. Um, so all you have to do is basically just DM me on Twitter or, or email me dabit3 at gmail.com and um, I'll get you in there. And then my last pick is episode 90 of React Native Radio. We had Zubair Ahmed on our show talking about Ethereum development. And it was probably one of my favorite uh, shows that we've done in a while. And um, I've never, he's never been on a podcast. He's never actually been out in the public eye that I know of, but he is very, very smart, very well-spoken. And I think he's going to be someone to kind of like keep an eye on. So follow him on Twitter. We have all the information on our, um, on the episode. So it's episode 90 of React Native Radio. I just have to one, uh, plus one your paying contributors. That's pretty awesome. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Um, uh, every pull request that we've had that's anything significant, we've been doing that for maybe seven or eight months now, and it's actually worked out really well. We've had a lot of Bravo. a lot of new people that are not only getting to contribute to open source for the first time, but they're getting you know something out of it too. So. That's that's awesome. great. Yeah, awesome. Um, I'm going to jump in here with a couple of picks. So. Um, my friend Eric Berry, who did a code sponsor uh, for a while, he just uh, soft relaunched that. Um, initially, the idea was putting um, sort of non-intrusive ads into readmes, um, and GitHub kind of shut that down. Um, I'm not sure how much he's talked about it publicly beyond that, but anyway, um, it it turns out that uh, they're still going. Um, he's doing something with Gitcoin. So it sounds like there's going to be some interesting uh, interplay with helping open source that way. So uh, go to uh, codesponsor.io if you want to help out open source or if you want, you know, to get your company involved in sponsoring slash marketing, um, you know, through open source and supporting developers that way. Um, this episode will probably come out in the middle of React Dev Summit. And uh, I think all of our uh, panelists are speaking at that. So uh, definitely check that out. That's at reactdevsummit.com. Um, I'm actually putting in a $100 uh, coupon to my Get a Coder Job course. So if you're looking into getting a new job and you haven't been happy with the ones you've been able to find so far, um, that's kind of the focus. And there's a lot of information in there for new people who don't have the kind of experience they want. So if you're transitioning from another framework to React, um, a lot of that will be applicable to you as well. Um, but yeah, if you get a conference ticket, then you get a hundred dollars off that course. Um, and, uh, I'm also going to pick something that, uh, a few of my friends work on, on a regular basis. Um, my friend John Sanmez and, uh, Josh Earl, they own simpleprogrammer.com and they have, they're churning out articles all the time that look pretty interesting. So if you want to go check out their stuff, uh, then definitely do that. And finally, I'm hoping to have t-shirts for the podcast up. Um, on the website here within the next few weeks. So keep an eye out for that, or you can follow me on Twitter at CMAXW, and I will tweet when that's available. And uh, I guess one last thing, though, it'll probably not be relevant when this goes live, but it could be. A lot of people have been coming to me and saying, I can't find the podcast in iTunes or Overcast. Um, if, if you're still having problems with that, um, the problem has been to date that iTunes has not approved the podcast. And... Overcast uses the iTunes database to look up podcasts. So just keep an eye out for that. And with future uh, podcasts, if it takes a week or two before you can find it in there, um, all of the podcast players out there will allow you to add an RSS feed. So just go to um, reactroundup.com and then find the link for the RSS feed and then just get that URL and stick it into your app and it'll subscribe you that way. Um, but yeah. Those are my picks. Uh, Nicholas, what are your picks? All right. So I have two, uh, two picks as well. The first pick is GraphQL Europe, as well as the GraphQL Day in Amsterdam. So GraphQL Europe is the biggest GraphQL conference that's happening in Europe. The date is June uh, 15th, I believe, and it's happening here in Berlin. Uh, the call for proposals is still open, so you can submit your talks until March 31st. If you're working on anything related uh, to, to GraphQL, we'd really... Uh, like to see your proposal. And uh, then we have GraphQL Day, which is happening on April 14th. That's a Saturday in Amsterdam. And we have really nice speakers there. So, for example, uh, Ken Wheeler is going to talk there about Urkel, um, or um, Sarah Vieira, who's also a regular speaker at React conferences, is going to talk about um, Apollo um, Link State, so how to manage state locally with Apollo. 
Um, that's my first pick. And then my second pick is uh, the React course from Kent on ECAD.io. Um, so I'm actually not a um, really intense uh, React developer, I want to say. But uh, this course for me was eye-opening as to what's actually going on under the hood when working with React. So um, that's an awesome course. And I recommend everybody who wants to learn what React actually is, how it works, to go check out that course. Aw, thanks. <laughs> yeah, I heard that guy's all right. <laughs> yeah, I wonder how, that mu how much that cost him. <laughs> uh, three cool units. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> All right. Um, well, thank you for coming, Nicholas. And I know that a lot of people have at least looked at if they're not using GraphQL. And so it's nice to know that you guys are innovating in these really, really interesting ways. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was, was a great, great show. All right. Well, we'll wrap this one up and we'll be back next week. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more. <laughs>